Welcome to the Learning Capacity Podcast, where we explore stories from around the world. We hear from educators, parents, students, entrepreneurs and scientists about innovations that help make learning easier and more successful. I'm your host, Peter Barnes. Today's guest is John Burfoot. He's a STEM teacher in a New South Wales primary school. In this episode of the podcast, he explains why STEM, that's S-T-E-M, became STEAM, S-T-E-A-M. He talks about what's involved in his lessons and how his students love making Lego robots. We also hear how students learn valuable soft life skills during STEAM lessons. But before we get to that, John describes his journey from high school, where he failed all his final year exams via an electronics apprenticeship, avionics, and special effects for films, to a university degree, and ultimately to specialist STEM teacher, a role he loves. So, John Burford, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be talking to you. So, yeah, thank you. So you, you um, specialise, you're a, a science and STEAM specialist uh, in New South Wales primary schools, I believe. Yes, a very privileged role, I must admit. Um, I graduated from university as a, a, a regular classroom teacher, did my Bachelor of Education in primary, and uh, I was a bit of a late bloomer when it came to teaching. I didn't start uni until I was 35. And I had an interesting and colourful background of, of different uh, occupations prior to that. Um, but, yes, yeah, so over, over several years, it did morph into STEAM. So uh, interesting and colourful background. That sounds like you know, a, colourful, a colourful identity. <laughs> it took you till you were 35 to get a, a, an interest in education. What, what, tell us about that. How did that happen? Well, when I was a, a kid, in fact, all the way through primary and high school, I knew I wanted to be a pilot in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. That, that was my passion. That was always my, my ticket to a dream job. And, uh, and, and all the subjects and all the hobbies and, and all the extracurricular stuff I did all lend itself towards becoming a pilot in the Air Force. Did the did air, air training called cadets, did physics and chemistry in, in the HSC. Unfortunately, the last year of my HSC, I, I thought I had done enough. I took my foot off the gas pedal. I had the year prior, I had won the, the maths award for, um, you know, for getting the top mark in my school. But by year 12, I failed the HSC. Oh, so, what a shock. Yeah, every <laughs> single subject, failed the HSC in, in every single subject, and the worst being English. <laughs> and uh, I, I sheepishly t- turned up to the recruiting um, van that they used to have at, at various places to um, to go in as the um, to re- a recruit, and they just simply said, "I'm sorry, but your grades aren't good enough." And of course, I was shattered. So what I then had to do was to fall back on my next area of interest, which was electronics. I've always been a bit of a tinkerer with electronics. I grew up with Dick Smith electronic kits and oh, yes. tank electronic yes. kits and. And, and bought, the, I think one of my greatest gifts when I was a kid was receiving the 151 electronics kits from uh, electronics kit from J-Car. And so all the way through primary and high school, I've always been tinkering with electronics. So I actually just went and did a trade in electronics. And so I, um, I did that for 
for four or five years. And halfway through my trade, because I started initially with um, repairing cassette players and and uh, TVs and amplifier systems, uh, I'd always loved aircraft. And my dad said to me, why don't you consider transferring your apprenticeship over to the aviation industry? And so that way you can still um, do your electronics, but in the context of aviation. So it sounded like a good idea. And and I contacted Bankstown Airport at the time, and I contacted a few different avionics centers, and sure enough, they had a vacancy for someone who wanted to continue their apprenticeship. And so I remained there for the next four years. And so I did really large-scale avionics installations and from helicopters. In fact, I worked on Dick Smith's helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> bought, his, bought, his, bought his products and his kit and... Uh, and ended up working on his helicopter. How's that for a circle? <laughs> yeah, isn't that incredible? It was the one that he flew around the world um, in and where there was heavily modified. And, and so, yeah, got to, to fly a lot in helicopters and, um, and fixed-wing aircraft, large and small scale. Uh, and, and then after a while, I also was tinkering with um, video production. I used to make short films and for Tropist and just hobbies and with friends. And... My mum at the, my mum at the time said to me, "Why don't you consider going to special effects in films?" And so um, I said, "Oh yeah, I'll, that sounds interesting because I like film making." And so I contacted what happened to be a um, a special effects company that happened to be operating in Sydney, and they happened to be looking for somebody who had the skills in electronics and. Uh, and was, was keen to learn. And so then I became a special effects technician working on electronics and special effects in, in smoke and, and explosions and, and breakaway glass. Wow, that's really interesting stuff, eh? I mean, lots of kids would like yeah. to do that, blowing things yeah. up. And <laughs> yeah, oh, it was terrific. It was, it was just like a dream job. Like who doesn't want to work behind the scenes on, the, on a, on a tele, television set or a movie set? Uh, now, at the time, the pay was lousy. So I, I didn't do it for the for the money, and it was just purely the experience. And and I, I'm not sure if you remember, but there was candid camera in Australia about oh, that, yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. about ten, fifteen years ago maybe. And I was the person who developed that that unit that allowed the technicians to plug their audio systems into the telephone, oh. and they dial the number and they had mm. to do the prank call. So I made that whole system. Because of my um, experience in, in avionics and also in electronics, I was able to make that. So um, the boss thought I was pretty cool in, in doing that. But then I, I was chasing the dollar and I left that industry and went into sales of all things. And I was a life insurance salesman for about four years. Wow, gee, you've really had an interesting background. I mean, what a great thing, what a great a lot of experience to bring to a classroom. Yeah, in, indeed. And from that, when almost anything you teach, whether it's religion to maths or to English, you can always draw on something that that occurred to you in 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 the years leading up to it. So, it's it's really it has been a, re, a real advantage, I think, for someone who's you know who's a teacher and has that life that, that life experience and work experience in different industries. Well, that's an interesting thing. Just the the, the idea that w- w- is there any value? Do you think of teachers rather than going to school, going to university, becoming a teacher like that in that sequence, having some sort of a uh, mandatory period out in the world doing other things. I mean, that would be pretty hard to organise, I'm sure. But um, Yeah. Yeah, 
That's interesting, Hardy. Yeah, well, see, I, I didn't know um, exactly what I wanted to do um, the whole time. You know, I felt a little bit uh, lost, particularly with the um, year 10, year 11 and 12. I, I, although I wanted to be a pilot, I thought, you know, okay, what if I didn't get in? Um, so I felt a lot of pressure. I remember feeling, I felt a lot of pressure in year 12 to absolutely know for sure what it was I wanted to do and perhaps what my backup strategy was. And so um, that could easily derail a lot of students in year 12. And, and my advice, in fact, there was a, there was a, um, a webinar I did uh, only, only a few years ago that was called All Roads Lead to Rome. And it was one that I did that helped year 12 students and school leavers think about their path. And I think if your viewers, listeners Google that, um, they'll, they'll see me talking about my progression. I, I unpacked that a bit more in detail. But basically the message is, is that sometimes you have to either follow your heart or your head mm. in, in knowing where you want to go. And sometimes it may not make a lot of sense, but like in my journey, I – I followed my, you know, my heart of electronics when I couldn't get into being a pilot, and then I was guided along the way to something else that was linked to electronics, and something else that was linked to my area of of interest of filmmaking, and things pop up in various times in your life, and you think, well, I've, I've, I'm getting this feeling of wanting to do this thing. I wonder if I should pursue it, and the answer is probably yes, without needing to know why you pursue it, and then something leads to something else, and and then if you backtrack. You think to yourself, wow, now I can see how I got to this point, and I would never have planned it any better had I tried. Yeah, so, so in retrospect, it all makes sense, but looking forward, you, you couldn't plan that out, really. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. I guess we relax a bit and just go with what they are more interested in or passionate about, then, and then that's probably the best thing. Great, great advice. So anyone who's got children approaching the end of high school, uh, what's that webinar address again? So we can. Um, well, I think if they they Google my name and all roads lead to Rome, mm-hmm. they'll um, eventually stumble upon it. Terrific. And, okay. Yeah, it was. I think it was it, it was put together by um, Bridges Connect. Mm-hmm. It was an amalgamation between Macquarie University and and Bridges, which worked with lots of different schools around the New South Wales area. Oh, great. Okay, thank you. So uh, the last little piece of your journey to where you are now, um, what, what actually inspired you to get into teaching then? Yeah, so at age 35, I, by then I was in, still in the, in the financial services industry, but instead of being in sales, I was in, in communications. And so I, I developed a, an, an ability to write um, for, um, for, for paper and for online material, and I had a boss that was very strict and he got me upskilled. So although English was my worst subject in, in, in school doing the HSC, I ended up learning those skills on the job, which is something to, to remember too for anyone who doesn't, that doesn't feel like they, they're learning or they're getting the good grades in their, in their schooling. There is a chance for, for one to get those skills when they leave school. And so uh, I was in communications, and fortunately that enabled me to take on a university degree. Mm. And... I was also doing a bit of soul searching at the time and did a few courses on personal development. And at the end of one of those courses, it, it was like a beacon, a, a neon light in the sky that, that my vocation was to work with children. And I didn't think I would ever be doing that because I knew it would take a degree for me to, to work with children. And I didn't think I was ready to or capable of 
giving up work and going to uni full time for four years. But I did, and my my wife supported me, and and I went to Australian Catholic University, um, and did a full time um, Bachelor of Education primary degree, and for four years, and it was great because I, I got to redo a lot of those subjects. I got to also relive my passion for science, and uh, and it was my maybe this might lead towards answering maybe perhaps in your next questions, but my last year of uni the English lecturer contacted the science lecturer at the university and she said, do you know anyone who will be interested in helping teachers explore the benefits of Lego robotics Mm. in education? Mm. And she thought of me because I I had actually topped the class at uni in science and technology. And that was always an area of interest of mine. And and given that I had already done a a trade in electronics, any, any, any question that related to electronics, I, I could nail you blitzed it, right? I, I did. I did, I think. And I think there were even some questions that I, I showed them how to actually make the question better. <laughs> and so she she put my name forward and I almost gave it up. I almost said, oh, no, I'm too busy. I'm about to go and start my prac and, you know, I want to get into teaching. But this, the thought of Lego robotics sounded too good to be true. And so I, I did it. And, and then I was given this box this Lego robotics box. It was called the RCX kit. And it was one of their first, actually it was their first you know, true Lego robotics platform. And it was very new at the time. I think it was around about 2006 when I was introduced to that. And I put myself in a room and I took out the kit and I started looking at all the components. Now, looking at components for me was quite common because I was used to looking at components as a young kid with electronics kits. I started putting it together, and it was a little bit different because it involved a computer, downloading software, you know, downloading a program, making the robot do a particular mission. And then when I achieved this particular task, this mission, something woke inside of me and that had been dormant for many years, and I just got bitten by whatever this bug was. And I thought, man, this is such a great tool, mm. great resource. And, yeah. and so the first school I began teaching at, I – told them about this resource and then by the second year I was doing it once a week as, as their enrichment um, coordinator mm. so it wow. kind of went from there and so from there you you've gone now you, you're you've you're self-employed you, you run your own business teaching in schools and doing professional development for teachers I understand when well not a lot right now so it what happened was I ended up resigning from a full-time teaching position at that Catholic school that I was teaching at because I felt that I just couldn't physically keep up with the workload. Mm. You know, I was, um, I had, uh, I had just become a father at the time and I was teaching for three years and I've got a newborn and the commitment of um, being a, a first time parent and working full time and a primary school teacher was overwhelming. And so I was looking for a way of creating a niche and, and leveraging off uh, my interest in science and technology and this, this new area of, of robotics, I thought maybe I might be able to pick up a, a, a part-time role where I could specialize as a science RFF teacher, which really is someone who can just teach science um, only, and I thought I could do that. And so actually there I was. I resigned and I, at the end of the year after three years at the school and I had no job to go to. <laughs> Talk about making a leap of taking a leap of faith. 
had no job to go to in December, resigned from full-time permanent physician. Mm. And because I just felt this was my path and I could contribute to this path. And then this um, the school in Padstow and the lovely principal, Patricia Laidlow at the time, offered me a part-time role as um, a science teacher and also um, a day a week regular teacher. And what happened over the ensuing years is I gradually developed my skills as a science specialist and as a robotics specialist and and then started doing more um, training around robotics. And that was just before the word STEM even became popular within the schools. Mm. So by the time STEM hit the ground, I was already several years into doing science STEM-related activities, which included uh, robotics and coding. And also by that time, I was at Macquarie University at the Innovation Centre that where we had schools coming in and teachers coming in and doing uh, various workshops. And so um, I had had two roles. I, I had my side business, which I could do my training for teachers, and I had my regular business with um, with schools. That might be one day a week at one school, might be another day a week at another school. And at one stage, I think three years ago, I was actually working at four schools and trying to um, balance that across public and private schools. And so um, I haven't done that much as with my own business. Now I am four days a week at a, um, a public school, Anzac Park Primary School at Cameroon. <laughs> Where my grand, where my my granddaughter is in uh, year one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and she yeah. lo- she loves your your class. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. It's really nice to come to a school, and and I was part of the foundation of that school. I started in 2016 there, and and it started with just four kindergarten classes, and now it's up to nearly 700 students across K to six, and that that particular kindergarten class who are now in grade three. Uh, they they've had that time with me for you know for that period and and so and now all the other students also know me. Is so there as nice? It's really nice when you come into a school and they all know you and they say, "Hello, Mr. Burford," or they might say Burford or Bigfoot or Burford. <laughs> all sorts of names, something something similar, and it is nice because I think they they love it because and I must I must admit I do have parents saying to me, oh, "My daughter loves coming to Steam," or "My son loves coming to Steam." All he talks about is Steam, and all he talks about is Mr. Burford. And it is a reminder that uh, it is a privilege to be in that role because I think students get excited about being in STEAM or STEM activities because they're actually doing something and making something and they're using a bit of their creativity. And sometimes they make things that they can take home. Sometimes they make things that are just online or virtual. Mm. And it's it's often something that sparks their attention. For for any of our listeners who aren't uh, entirely familiar with the terms STEM and STEAM, S-T-E-M, S-T-E-A-M. Do you want to just uh, briefly give us a, a definition of those two things and what's the difference and what's the A? What, what, what's the A? In yeah, sure. Mm. Yeah, well, so STEM originally came out of a high school concept. It, uh, it stands for science, technology, engineering and maths. And it was a way of, of making um, or designing projects that uh, had links to those you know, four different key learning areas. And sometimes they would be a, um, a project that different uh, lecturers or different high school teachers would tap into that area to produce something at the end. 
So uh, that was that's that's it in its raw form. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, so the A came into it because people were questioning, you know, is it something that's useful for society? Uh, you could argue that making a you know make, making a a weapon out of raw materials is a STEM activity, but is it really something that's ethical to make a weapon? And so the arts really is a lot about humanities and about ethics. Oh. And it's about making something that is both useful and and ethical for, for society. Oh, okay, so the A is not necessarily about um, poetry or art or anything like that. It's about, it's about the morality of uh, what happens when you apply... Uh, the STEM pieces. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, of it? yeah, yeah that, that's, a, that's a good summary of it. Um, there's obviously opportunities for teachers and students to, to make the creative arts as part of the STEM project, mm-hmm. for sure, mm-hmm. uh, because there's you know, lots of you know, aesthetic you know, principles, um, there's lots of opportunities for students to create both form and function. Um, with their creations, and uh, so the visual arts and the creative arts uh, are very, you know, can feature very well in a in a STEAM project. But from most skills' perspective, that A is more to do with the, you know, it has it does it serve a good purpose? You know, is it does it does it have, I guess, um, uh, an ethical stamp on it? Excellent, really good. So, t- can you just describe a typical lesson if there is such a thing? Hmm. Uh... Certainly. So I, I like to begin, begin most of my STEAM units with an, an immersion activity uh, that, um, that gets them pretty excited, whether it's through exploration. They might get, for example, um, some magnets if we're doing a, a unit on magnetism where you know, they can do some open-ended exploration activities where you know, they start investigating the properties of magnets and start coming up with um, an hypothesis of, of how magnets work and what is the, the magnetic field around a magnet? And, and, and then we, we'll do some experiments together uh, that un, unpack that a bit and either uh, prove or support their hypothesis or they might now get a new idea of how something works. And so we go through a few weeks of developing the understanding and the skills around um, the particular topic area. And then the final five weeks of a 10-week program is usually them making something that requires their skills and knowledge on the area um, for it to, to come through. Now, uh, that on its own um, may be good enough for most schools, having a standalone independent STEAM unit that ticks off curriculum areas in science and technology and, and also areas of, in maths and, and English as well because they have to write up sometimes instructions for the material. They have to report on, on, on uh, their, their product and give some feedback uh, to their peers. So a lot of writing is involved. So what you're doing actually aligns with the curriculum. It does, yeah. So we, we have to, I have to put, put together a program that has different subject areas. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Pardon me. And we have to align that um, to the different areas of the current um, syllabuses in New South Wales. And but more than that, what we do in, in at Anzac Park is that we link what we're doing in Steam to what they're doing in their classroom. Mm. 
So most schools, they would see STEAM or STEM as an RFF activity, and I am still an RFF teacher, so that means that I give, I, I teach my lesson for an hour a week, and in that hour, the classroom teacher has their their break time to do their admin. But because at Anzac Park there's two teachers on class at, at the time, they alternate. So one teacher would be on break and the other teacher would be supporting me. And that works out really well because not only are they um, helping me uh, manage the classroom for a better understanding and, and completion, but they're also being upskilled. So they don't necessarily rely on me to know all that is about STEAM. Wow, that's, yeah. a, that's a double benefit, isn't it? You, you, yeah. You, you're teaching kids and you're also teaching teachers at the same time. Yeah, correct. So I think school, if they can invest in getting that extra time uh, to allow teachers to do that, it, it also reduces costs on, on professional development for teachers because they're actually getting a bit of PD each week. It's great value, yeah. It's great. And, and then, for example, they're – they'll be looking at the same concept areas in their class for that term. What we do in STEAM is that we get the students to actually make something and it's their, like a double dip at that content area. So it, it reinforces that learning in the area. So when they come out of that term, they've had two shots, two bites at, at, the, at the apple. You know? mm-hmm. so, uh, and, and, do, and do you stay with the, 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 each class all the way through for, for four terms or are you just doing a term for a class and then you move on to you know, year one, one in term one, year two and so forth? How, how does that work? Well, um, I'll, be doing, I'll be working with all the students um, from K to 6 every term. Uh-huh, right. So, um, so they get uh, – STEAM is very important and very big in Anzac Park, mm. uh, which is why they've got a dedicated STEAM teacher as, as with myself. And so my role is to provide that one hour of STEAM to every single student for every term. And and that links that must link back to what they're doing in their classrooms um, and their regular teachers. Well, if my granddaughter is any guide, uh, students love this. Uh, are there any kids that just aren't interested? Yeah, I mean it's not the panacea, and I accept that um, for various reasons. And and also, um, I mean. It, Let's face it, a classroom with 20 people have, or 20 children have different learning needs and you can have a spread of abilities, you know, that could, could span several years, you know, in, in, one, in one grade. Mm. Then you multiply that and then you get, you know, 50 or even, or 40 or even 50 students in one class across two teachers. It, it makes, it, it has challenges. And mm. so, um you know there there are there are limitations to some degree, and some of that can be um, management of resources. Uh, it could also be you know, the level that the student is at. It could be also the the learning style of the student. Um, it could be the the level of difficulty. What we're doing might be a little bit difficult, and and so some students might check out and and seek other ways of um, you know having an interest. But I must admit, out of all the resources and the different tech that I've worked with over the last nearly 15 years as a STEAM teacher, guess, guess what has been the most engaging for every student? And I'm talking, let's think now, it's, I'm talking from uh, grade two to grade four is when we're introducing it. What do you think? was the most engaging tech that engaged 
everyone. I, I reckon if it was me, it'd be building some Lego robot. Well, that's why I, I would have thought that too. But for various reasons, you know, it's not it's not for everybody. You know, some students it, it um, they don't resonate with it. Mm. Um, but would you believe Minecraft? Minecraft, really? <laughs> yes. Minecraft has been the most <laughs> tech that we produce in in Steam, and every single student is engaged by it. Yeah. And it's, it's just phenomenal. Like I've heard of schools using Minecraft in a server environment where they're all on multiplayer and they're building stuff together. We did, we introduced Minecraft last year to um, stage one students. So they were um, grade, grade one and two, which was a mission getting them signed up initially. But what they did, and we also did that also for grade three and four, the following term, what they were doing was uh, building uh, different worlds that had some evidence of sustainability. So they, they needed they needed to meet a criteria and uh, they had different parts, different members of the team building different parts of their community and each class had their own world that they built. And most of the students, or a lot of students actually had more knowledge of Minecraft than I did. <laughs> and um, But it ticked off steam because, you know, they were collaborating, mm. you know, persevering, and they were being creative and they were building. Wow, how much fun. I can imagine. Yes, yeah. Gee, it makes me think back when I was in primary school many years ago, uh, they used to put, I was a, it was a Queensland country school, and they used to put us on a bus once a week and take us into the nearest big town about an hour away, and we did woodwork and um, metalwork. And that, yeah. that was our, our kind of tech thing. And I'm just thinking how how far it's come in that time. You know, there's parallels between those between then and now. You know, yeah. in, in both situations, you know, we were doing maker activities. Your kids are doing maker activities in various forms, but your your students are learning way more um, skills, I imagine, than we did when we were just simply making little um, tin boxes and cutting bits of wood. Um, can you just talk to us a little bit about the things you mentioned briefly before? Uh, kids working together in groups and so forth. They, those sort of skills. What are those? What are those skills that they're learning when they're with you that are going to be useful for the rest of their lives? Besides the, the, yeah. the hard tech sort of stuff. Yeah, it's a very good point. I mean, one of the benefits I feel of robotics education was it teaches students to persevere through mm. problems, mm. and that notion of persevering through something to get to a solution is such a critical thing. And that is really, for me, the essence of, you know, what robotics can bring is because it, it, it inspires and, and it, it motivates students to persevere because of the nature of Lego and the, you know, the nature of um, open-ended creative activities. It, it's, it, it's calling to a student constantly to say, have another go, finish me, I want to move. I want to. I want to um, be created to, to serve a purpose, and that often motivates students to persevere. So, so they learn through perseverance. They get something that's workable. They get something that's useful and is pretty cool. So, perseverance is a big area um, of STEAM. It's one of the outcomes that we try to meet, um, and it's an area that we we show is um, a skill for life. And linked with that is, which is why um, also robotics uh, lends itself to be worked on in pairs or in groups. And 
uh, we've, we've pushed that we want students to work together on, on projects. And we understand that they don't always agree. So the collaboration is, is an aspect of, of students learning that um, is critical. And when there's disagreements, it creates an opportunity for, you know, for uh, incidental learning. And we'll sometimes stop a, a lesson and we'll talk about, you know, well, what is the conflict here? Uh, let's, let's see if we can um, talk about, you know, why two people may not want to work together, what the concerns are. And if we have to sacrifice a lesson uh, because we're, we've got a couple of groups who are not willing to work together, what we can gain from unpacking that and understanding more of why people don't want to work together, that can be a, a better outcome than trying to, you know, to, to get through the lesson, so to speak. So um, those areas of, of lifelong learning, which I believe relates to perseverance and collaboration, and having a growth mindset that all kind of tie in together, uh, which I guess it's a lesson to students to know that you know, they, they have the ability and they have the skills to, to not give up on something. And they just have to see evidence that through their effort they can get results. And whether it's trial and error or whether it's collaboration, um, it's, it's an effort-based learning where, you know, by participating in the results. Fantastic. That is so good that they're learning these skills. You're not just there talking to them about them. You're actually putting them in a situation where they experience those, those things and how, how it feels, actually feels, to persevere, to work, yeah. with, work with others and to solve those uh, conflicts. Um, yeah. What great skills. What great skills to take into future life. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, let's face it. it it's, we we remember very little or retain very little unless there's some emotional um, uh, attachment to it. Mm, you know, let's let's think about that. You know, when we uh, when when something significant happens in our lives, we're likely to never forget about that. Yeah. And you know, and once in a while, we get reminded. Well, uh, John, I think the kids who uh, in Anzac Park and wherever else you're going to be doing this are are extremely fortunate. Um, I, I wish I was a kid and I could go and participate in that. It just sounds like so much fun. Well, I can't uh, wait for you to come to our school. You can. <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm actually going there this afternoon. If, can I come one day and stick my head in and watch? You Would the school allow that? Would you allow that? Yeah, you yeah. certainly can. So we're, we're calling for parent helpers actually from week six. So we are calling parent helpers to come in and we need them because they, you know, they're going to be making a lot of musical instruments from okay. house. I'm putting my hand up for it. I'll, <laughs> I'll talk to the school and get myself enrolled. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, John, for any of our listeners, teachers or parents who would who'd like to contact you to learn more about what you're doing or perhaps even get you to come into their schools, how would they do that? Oh, well, they can, they can do that by going to my website, cyrific.com.au, um, or they can, um, they can contact me directly at, at johnburford at gmail.com. So the, the website, uh, can you just spell it out for us? Yeah, it's uh, Cyrific, S-C-I as in science, and then Rific, R-I-F-F-I-C. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Learning Capacity Podcast, brought to you by LearnFastHQ.com, delivering the world's best evidence-based solutions for learning since 1999. Head over to our website to read a transcript of the podcast. 
go to learnfasthq.com. That's L-E-A-R-N-F-A-S-T-H-Q.com and click on podcast in the menu at the top of the page. And don't forget to subscribe in your listening app so you don't miss hearing any of the interesting discussions about learning, teaching and education. Thank you.